you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25. We're going to be reading together this morning. Peter 1, verses 13 to 25. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but it has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which is preached to you. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful uh, this morning to think about, as we were just singing, uh, your plan to foreknow your son, to manifest him. It's something we celebrate often during this Christmas season is you manifesting your son, you making him known. And we are encouraged even as we look in that rest of that verse, Lord, for the purpose to make us believers in you so that our faith and hope are in you. I think we're all encouraged as we think about that. Yet, Lord, there is a weighty command in these verses to conduct ourselves, our lives here in fear because you're a judge. So, Father, we do ask for your grace this morning. I ask for your help that I would make your word clear. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have wisdom together as we think about these things. I pray, Father, you would help us to have wisdom how we are to apply them, to examine our lives if we are indeed living in a way that is appropriate to you being judge. Father, by your grace, we want to be pleasing to you and living uh, as sojourners, as those who are in exile during our stay on earth. We thank you, Father, that our stay here is ultimately short in comparison to eternity, and we look forward uh, to being in your presence. Thank you for your word. Please bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. The letter of First Peter was written to really a diverse group of saints in in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. They were of different ethnicities, languages, of different religious backgrounds. But those saints scattered around Asia Minor through those provinces were unified in their commitment to Christ. They confessed him as Lord and had put their hope in him. It would have been an unpopular thing 
for them to do, participating in this, what looked like a new, a new religion as compared to the old cults worshiping the gods and goddesses, or even old Judaism. So who is this new Christ? And they were suffering persecution for their commitment to Jesus Christ. It wasn't the full-fledged persecution, which would come later. Uh, this is not the time yet of Nero's persecution. It's not far. But even Nero's persecution seems like it was mostly centered in Rome. And we often think when we read about these persecutions of First Peter that that's what was going on. Instead, it was more of the persecution that we often go through, although maybe worse, but being slandered, being maligned, ostracized, maybe excluded from business because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter encourages them in verses 1 through 12 with the greatness of their salvation, with the certainty of their, of their salvation. And I would encourage you, particularly verses 3 through 12, I've been blessed hearing that several of you are, are memorizing this section, I'd be encouraging you to, to memorize it if you're not already memorizing something. Because we are moving from a, a section of those really brilliant, thrilling indicatives to a section that has more imperatives, has, has commands, and it's going to be refreshing for you to keep meditating on those first verses of verses 3 through 12 of chapter 1. We're in, in a section of these of four commands... As Peter teaches those who are kind of sojourning through this life, as they are resident aliens, as they are exiles waiting to be reunited with their Lord Jesus, how they are to live. We saw the first of those commands in verse 13, where the command there is to fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's probably a command that is expected when you're going through persecution. To have my hope only on the return of Jesus Christ. And Peter teaches us how, how, to, do, how to do that in verse 13. By uh, preparing our minds for action, girding up the loins of our minds. By being sober-minded, to keep sober in spirit. Well, there's another command in verse 15. The second of those commands. The first we saw in verse 13. Put our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us. The second is in verse 15. And this is a little bit more, a less expected command for people who are going through suffering. But Peter knows that it's essential. It's to be holy. We understand setting your hope on the grace that that is to be brought to us going through persecution. But Peter knows that the saints needed to be holy. We see that in the middle of, of verse 15. Be holy yourselves also in your behavior. This morning we come to the third of these instructions that Peter gives. And again, he knows what's essential to the saints who are going through persecution, when they have been ostracized for their faith to Jesus Christ, for their submission to him as Lord. It's essential for us too. And it is that we live in a way fearing God. We see that command, the second half of verse 17. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. We live in a church age where fearing God sounds archaic, right? It just sounds old, like something that Puritans in the 1600s did, or maybe Jonathan Edwards did when he talked about, you know, the, the spider and sinners in the hands of, of, of the angry God, if you've ever read that sermon. It's, it's something that the older saints used to talk about. Many wonder, what does fearing God have to do with the gospel? The gospel is good news, 
We've been reconciled to God. We've been accepted by him. We've been welcomed by him. We've been approved by him in Christ Jesus. What, 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 what does this fearing God have to do with the gospel? It doesn't sound like good news. Maybe, and I think that many do, that think that the doctrine of justification... And the Bible teaches this, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous, that we are made righteous. He became sin who knew no sin, so that we might, to become sin for us, we might become the righteousness of God. Romans is full of it. Galatians is full of it. The whole New Testament is full of this incredible doctrine. Well, many of us, I think, get confused that this doctrine of justification absolves us from coming before God as judge. And we're going to talk about that. because, and, and there's some sense there. Well, if I've already been declared righteous, what's going to happen there? Is it just like, well, you've already been, been declared righteous. It's done. So why would I have to live my life in fear? Like, and even fear is a complex word. Now, I uh, taught a, a, a series on equipping our second hour. Uh, in, in, uh, in September, October of last year. So if you would like to spend more time thinking about this, if you haven't listened to those sermons, you could do that. I'm just going to, um, I won't be able to spend as much time here this morning. That's probably a good time to talk about what also may happen this morning. I may not finish. So just if you start getting you know, scared as you're watching the o'clock, it's okay, we don't have second hour. No, uh, uh, at, at some point I may decide I'm going to split this into two and we'll just, we'll, 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 just, we'll just see how it goes. Because some of these things uh, I really want to make sure that we get and understand before moving on. So we'll just see how it goes. I don't love that. You, you may not love that, but it is what it is. Um, so we're going to try to unravel some of that complexity this morning. So that we will both fear God in this life. And I know, and I, I kind of wish we had a different word besides fear. But that's just the word that we have. We're going to talk about that. That we fear God in this life. But at the same time, we look forward to judgment. Fear God and look forward to judgment. And I know that that sounds like an incompatible idea. How could we potentially look forward to judgment? It sounds so horrible. I know how sinful I am. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in so that we can look forward to the judgment and still live in a way that fears God. So this morning from 1 Peter 1, 17 to 21, we're going to see three reasons we ought to conduct ourselves in fear during our sojourn on earth. So we're going to see that that uh, command in the end of verse 17, he's going to give three reasons why we should live our lives in fear during our, 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 our temporary time here on earth, during our stay here on earth. So let's look at the second half of verse 17, and this is the, the third time in a row we've done that, as Paul gives some explain, and Peter gives some explaining first, and then the command. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to give the explaining first and then the command, so we're going to look at the command first. And so if you're taking notes there, it is the command to conduct ourselves in fear. The command to conduct ourselves in fear. It's the second half of verse 17. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. To conduct yourself, it is the main verb in, in this section. It is a command. But we've been talking about our conduct already. It was in, in verse 15. 
how it says, be holy yourselves also in your behavior. That is the Greek noun form of the same verb here. So what is in verse 15? Our behavior is in verse 17 uh, in, in, in the command to conduct ourselves. It is a word that refers to how we go through life. The, 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 the base word is it means to turn. And the idea is our turnings in and out of life, all of our goings through life, our conduct. So how are we to conduct ourselves? This is where the questions start. Conduct ourselves in fear. And for the Greek word behind this, it can be difficult finding an appropriate English word. We're afraid of so many things. Some people are afraid of the dark, which can be an irrational fear. Some people are afraid of failure, which can be irrational or maybe very practical. Some people are afraid of being laughed at. Some people are afraid of, as children of abusive parents. Some people are afraid watching movies. Fear encapsulates all of those feelings. So fear is a very broad word, from the irrational to the very rational. Now, many recommend the, the word instead, instead of fear, to revere God. Well, revere is a little bit of an archaic word as well, and, and, and it can mean just, just to respect God. We revere God. We respect God. The Latin roots of revere bring us a little closer, which means to stand in awe. And in that sense, if you think revere, oh yeah, to stand in awe, okay, it's closer. But you could go even further. It's really to stand in awe with a sense of of danger, with a sense of consequences. So like, for, for example, we feel awe when we look into the stars. But that's not really fear, right? It's awe, but it's, but it's not fear. We feel awe when we stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Right? It's awe with a sense of danger. That's a little bit behind this idea of fearing God here. It has built into it the sense of consequences, of negative consequences. So... Translators seek to find the best word. The NASB and ESV both have fear. It's kind of tough to go better than fear, although we know that we can use that in so many ways. So we're, so we're, we're going to try to understand it, really, filtering that word fear through what we know about God from Scripture, Scripture and from the Gospel. When we conduct ourselves in fear, we live in a way that is appropriate to God's revelation of himself, appropriate to the commands he's given and to his character. To live in fear is to live appropriate to his revelation, appropriate to the gospel, is to live appropriately. Walking in fear involves not reducing his commands, so not just ignoring them, not simplifying them, not skirting away from them. It means not ignoring his character. Not ignoring that he truly hates sin. Or that he is just. It means not pretending that God is other than he truly is. It's taking the full weight of God as revealed in scripture. Not just portions of the New Testament we like to think of. 
but the whole thing. The God who poured out his wrath on his son at the cross, the, 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 the God who flooded the earth, but the God who's also merciful and gracious in what he did at the cross. It's taking all of who God is and responding appropriately. It's living with view to his commandments cautiously. And really, I think that that's a great way of thinking about it. It's living cautiously. It's living circumspectly. It's living vigilantly. Living intentionally. It's not a kind of life where we just simply reduce God to one after, but yes, I know that scripture says that God is love. But there is a full picture of God revealed in his word. This cannot simply be reduced to one attribute. And scripture doesn't teach that God is simply reduced to one attribute. But to live in fear does not mean to live in terror or in dread. Now, it's true that this word fear in the Bible can mean terror and it can mean dread, but that is not fearing God because fearing God responds appropriately to the revelation of God. And so when someone knows that God's word declares for us, that God requires for us to be holy, he requires for us to be blameless, and we feel the conviction of God's law, and we know that we are in need of a savior, Fearing God does not say, no, I dread him. I'm terrified of him. I'm running in the opposite direction. There's this horrible scene in Isaiah 2 where, where, where God is coming to judge. And, and, and instead of turning to God who's coming to judge, they run away from him. And they're clutching their idols, running away from God, going into, in, in, into caves trying to get away from God. That is not biblical fearing God. That is not the, the fear of God that God blesses. That's not the fear of God that is commanded. A fearing God is listening appropriately. And so when he says, yes, I'm coming to judge, but he also says, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. You run to Jesus Christ. That is what fearing God is. It is responding to the gospel. It is listening to him. When he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, like, th like that Philippian jailer in Acts 16 he feared God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He's like, sign me up. I need that salvation. The ground shook and he knew he needed to be saved. That is appropriate fearing God. See, fearing the thunderstorm, you know, the, the lightning of a thunderstorm, means running into safety, right? Or getting into the car that has the rubber tires so somehow it's safe. I don't exactly know how that works. It is not to go into the thunderstorm clutching onto your golf clubs and saying, I'm so terrified of lightning. That's not biblical fear in God. Biblical fear in God is running for safety. So living in fear, and th that's what he's saying, can, can, and, and we've got more here, but to conduct ourselves in fear is similar to the way in which we ought to, I don't say we always do, drive a car or handle a gun. Now, I don't have guns. Uh, people, who, I, I can't say every person who does. I, uh, 
uh, a, a friend now, but, but, but when he was a student of mine in a youth ministry, his family had a lot of guns. So, so, so this is in Spokane, Washington, and if some of you do not have a lot of guns, this house was packed with guns. He was cleaning his gun in his basement, and I accidentally fired it, which ideally, I think you're not supposed to have bullets inside the gun. Anyways, he does this in the basement of his house. Um, that is not living in fear with a gun. Right? People who, who know guns are cautious. They, they, they recognize the, the weightiness of this item. There's, they understand that there's a potential if, if this is mishandled, the same way with driving a car. Now, we don't have to drive like, oh, I'm terrified. Now, sometimes I feel that at juncture 5791, trying to get over at my exit, like, what in the world? Um, but in general, we, we don't have to Fear. We just live, we drive cautiously. And that's what living in fear is. It's not a craven fear. It's not a shaking in your boots fear. It is conducting yourselves wisely. And we're going to see why. It's living with caution. It's understanding that God is not to be trifled with. That commands are commands. Fearing God is more than fearing consequences. So to summarize here, it's responding appropriately to God's revelation of himself. It is remembering his grace as much as his judgment. That's what fearing God is. It's not fearing God if all we do is focus on judgment. It's not fearing God if all we do is focus on grace. Fearing God deals with God and his complexity. Not us trying to oversimplify him. It's dealing with him, and we'll see this in just a minute, as both father and judge. The verse has both of those together in the same verse. And Peter doesn't say, oh, I, I can't handle this in the same sentence. He has to be one or the other. He has to be father or judge. And I'm afraid that that's how we often live. He has to be father or he has to be judge. He was judged before we got saved, but now he's only father. Peter does not have that difficulty. We don't have to walk on eggshells around him like he's a, a drunken, abu abusive father that we're worried of offending. But neither do we think of him as Santa Claus and we just want to sit on his big lap and give him a wish list. It's taking the God of Scripture seriously in his complexity. Peter tells us how long we are to conduct ourselves in fear. During the time of your stay on earth. Now, on earth isn't in the Greek text. It's during the time of your stay, of your sojourning. ESV has exile. We're passing through here. We're, we're just here for a short time. Perhaps you've, you've felt some of that uh, sense of living with fear as you're passing through. Uh, I know many of you have children and and uh, if you don't, you could probably imagine this. Uh, you, 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 you rent an uh, Airbnb, right? Someone already has your credit card number, right? So how do you tell your children to behave in the Airbnb or in that hotel room? In the hotel room, you're like, don't touch the bottled water, right? What, whatever snacks are there, they're not for you because we have to pay for those. Right? Or in the Airbnb, don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Wipe your feet. 
before coming in. Take off your shoes. We're going to get charged for anything that's, that's broken. It's just, a, just a, such a trivial example, really. We can live cautious. We can live cautiously during a temporary stay at a hotel room. Why? Because we've got our credit card on the line. How much more our stay here on earth? Our time here is already shorter since coming here this morning. It'll be even short, even less time left by the time that we live. So we must do what Peter calls us to. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And I know we need to give more content to that. And so we're going to look now at the, at the conviction. So first we looked at the command to conduct ourselves in fear. Now we're going to look at the conviction to conduct ourselves in fear. The first, the first way that Peter builds this conviction of living our lives in fear, of conducting ourselves in fear, is the first reason is your father is an impartial judge. We see that in the beginning of verse 17. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. If you address as father, or, or, or the ESV has, if you call on him as father. Now both of these uh, uh, verses, uh, or this verse in both ESV and NASB, begin with the word if instead of since. And Peter's not questioning their salvation here. He's not saying, if God is really your father. Instead, he wants them to reflect on their relationship with God as Father. He's convinced that they're going to answer yes. He's really beginning encouraging them. If God is your Father, and he is. Now, the verb, the verb address here or appeal has a range of meaning. It could just go, if you call God Father. And I love when I'm with the saints and I hear them praying. And they talk to God as Father. Our Father, as Jesus taught us. You can hear that relationship with Him. Or it could mean not just the name that we call Him, but our appealing to Him. If we bring our needs before Him. If, 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 if He is our only hope. And those ideas are both there in this word, addressing or appealing. Behind both is the assumption of a relationship of confidence. Of confidence in the Father's willingness to make us His children because of the finished work of Christ. It's warm. You know God is Father. You've been reconciled to Him. The Spirit, the Son has sent into your hearts, cries out, Abba, Father. So Peter knowing that he's going to talk about conducting themselves with fear, begins with their relationship. And he's been talking already in chapter 1 about their relationship with him as father, that they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, as the Father who caused us to be born again to a living hope. So first he reminds them of this relationship, but then he reminds them that their father is also their judge. Beginning of 17, we're getting towards the middle there. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. And impartially means without favoritism. The father judges his children by the same standard as his enemies. 
The father judges his children by the same standard as his enemies, according to each one's work. Now, this is not just a one-time in Scripture only idea. It comes up many times. And I know you're wondering, but I'm justified, and we're going to talk about that. Romans 2, verses 6 through 11, really Paul's case here is that Gentiles and Jew alike are judged on the basis of work, he says, uh, who will render to each person according to his deeds. Verse 11 of Romans 2, for there's no partiality with God, Jews and Gentiles alike. Matthew 16, verse 27, Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Acts 17, verse 31, because God has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. How do we know that we are going to be judged? Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. As part of why he was resurrected is to be the judge. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 10 through 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for the, his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, those are just a few of the verses there. What one commentator says, this judgment is according to their works because these works are the logical result of one's relationship to God. Uh, I'm going to say that again. It's really helpful, I think. This judgment is according to their works because these works are the logical result of one's relationship to God. Obedience is the overflow of belonging to God. Obedience is the result of having God as your father. Now, when we talk about judgment, and, and I think we have got something in us that so instinctively thinks that there's going to be a balancing. Like, uh, but when we talk about coming before God as judge, it is not a balancing of, oh, well, do their lives have more good than bad? All of God's enemies will come before him with nothing pleasing to him. They will not be able to have one single action of obedience done out of love of God. All of their righteousness will be as filthy rags. We sometimes that apply that to ourselves, and that's not true. That's describing the person who is not right with God. They come before God with nothing to show. That, that is the extent of human sinfulness and why we need a Savior. It's not a balancing act. It's not a, oh, I've got lots of obedience to show, or some obedience, but even lots of disobedience. Those who are God's enemies bring forward no obedience. They've spent their whole lives in opposition to God. But God's children... When they come before God the Father's judge, their Father's judge will have a life of obedience to show. They will, you will have a life of obedience to show if you are in Jesus Christ. This is good news. This is what, what when, when God gave you the righteousness of his son, this is what happens. Now, is it all obedience? No, but we know that... We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. It's not all obedience, but you have a life of obedience. This is obedience originating from our union with Christ, empowered through the Spirit of Christ, because of our love for Jesus Christ. 
So we can look forward to coming before God the Father as judge, not because he is permissive. Not because he's kind of a winking at sin father, doesn't take obedience seriously. But because he wrote his law on our hearts. And the overflow of that law being written on our hearts is joy-filled obedience. It's not yet what it will be, but it is true obedience. This is part of what the promise of the new covenant is in Jeremiah 32, verses 38 through 39. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. A promise there to Israel applied to the church again and again. I will give them one heart and one way, and they may fear me always. Always. See, this kind of fear is a fear we can take with us into eternity. Fear me always for their own good and for the good of the children after them. I will give them one heart and one way. God writes his law in our hearts so that we love obeying him. And we wouldn't want to do anything but obey him. Now, we know that that's not all of our experience here now, but that is your experience if you are in Jesus Christ. You love obeying him. Now, I sympathize with you, and I've spent time thinking about this. I phoned friends, uh, at least a friend. I, I can understand it can be difficult to understand how to conduct ourselves in fear. How does that balance with our understanding of justification, of being declared righteous through faith? The Bible teaches that, right? We are declared righteous. Our faith has been credited to us as righteousness. Romans 3.22 describes how the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. That we have the righteousness of Christ. Romans 8.1. This is beautiful. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't come before the Father's judge in fear of being condemned. But that doesn't mean we don't fear. It means we don't have that dread of judgment. Now, if you have your Bibles open, go ahead and turn to Romans 8. Because I think lots of times we end at Romans 8.1. And it's such a cool verse. Like, why wouldn't you? Therefore, there's no now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're feeling guilty about sin. This is a very encouraging verse. It's a good verse to remind us we don't have that, that, that shaking in our boots, dread terror of God, who is our Father through faith in Jesus Christ. But listen to what follows. And here he explains why there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Why can we have this confidence? It, and he's already talked for chapters. It is through faith. But listen where he goes next. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You have a, a new principle in you. It is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Is that you are free to obey. For what the law could not do, the external law, just God's commands, couldn't do this in themselves. Weak as it was through the flesh, because of our sinful flesh, having just commands in our sinful flesh doesn't make us obedient. But God did, sending his son in his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the, the, the encouragement we can have why we're not condemned. Because we are different people. 
Because we have been changed. Because now we, we are fulfilling the requirements of the law. Because we don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We are new creatures in Christ. And we could go further. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds, verse 5, Romans 8, 5. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, you're different. Paul's encouraging them. You set your minds on the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. That's what you used to be. You didn't even fear God then. Because you didn't run to God. You didn't obey God. That, that, that wasn't the kind of a biblical fear of God. You were hostile to God. You didn't love his law. You didn't want to obey him. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were spending your days as a, as a slave to sin. It's hostile, God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But is that you now? Not if you are in Jesus Christ. If he is your only hope, if you have put your confidence in him, that is not who you are now. You are not sold as a slave to sin. Your mind, it is not all that you are. You have the spirit in you. You walk according to the spirit. This is their encouragement that he writes to them. That there's no condemnation. Look at what God's done in you. You're different. You love obedience. And this is why we can fear God and not fear judgment. Because we've seen what the righteousness of God has accomplished in our, in our lives. When we got the righteousness of Christ, when that was attributed to our accounts, we were made righteous. We changed And so this is why we conduct our lives in fear. It's not like a a doctor gives a clean bill of health to someone. And and, and imagine this. A doctor gives a clean bill of health to someone whose body is riddled with cancer. Right? That would just be a fiction. I mean, that might make the person feel better, but it's not true. This is a doctor, this is like a doctor, giving someone a clean bill of health, and they are different. They have new appetites. They go home and they pile on the vegetables because they have new appetites. They have new abilities. They go, the doctor gave them a clean bill of health, and they go jogging and play water polo or or whatever it is that seems like it would take a lot of exercise. They go home and do some chin-ups because they're a new person. Doctors can't do that. But that's what God did to us when he gave us the righteousness of Christ. It's not just a legal righteousness. It is that. But he made us righteous. His spirit is in us so that the overflow is obedience. Do you see why we don't fear the way that those who don't have God? We look forward to coming before the Father as judge. Because we know his righteousness is producing in us acts of obedience. It's not for our own glory, but for his. We will have righteous law keeping. So since your father impartially judges according to each one's work, how will you live during your sojourn? 
during your time on earth? Will you live as your father expects to see loyal and love-fueled obedience from those he's declared righteous? I mean, just think about that. He gave his son. We'll probably, I think, focus more on that next time. He gave his son. So your father gave this incredible gift to give you life, gave you the righteousness of his son. To live your life in fear means that you live in a way that's appropriate. Appropriate of him as father, but of him as judge. Or are you living like your father just kind of is dismissive? Oh, they're just kids. They're going to sin. Are you living like your father allows you just to behave however you want? Watch whatever you want. Do whatever you want with your money. Because you've already been forgiven. Is that how you're living? See, do you see the beauty of God's commands here? The beauty of his revealed will. Like his commands are beautiful. They are the overflow of a perfect and holy God. Just as Huey read earlier from Psalm 19. His, his commands are good. They revive the soul. And yet we scurry away from them like, oh, they're going to be painful. They're going to hurt us. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about looking at them. See, through Christ's righteousness, we get to please the Father. And we who have you been united to Christ get to obey his commands. We get to look forward to being at the judgment seat. And like that is something that all of you could do here this morning by God's grace. You can look forward. Yes, you could focus and say, I do see sin in my life. And some of you need to do, to do diligence with that. I'm not, I'm not living like God's judge. I'm, 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 I'm ignoring areas of obedience in my life. So repent of that. If you're taking God's holiness lightly, repent. If you've never repented, put your faith in your son. If you know you need to repent again, you already are saved. Put your faith in his son. Put that as your hope, but then commit to live. As knowing that God has given good commands. That he does judge on according to each one's deeds. And look forward to being bringing before him acts of obedience. So are you looking forward to being before his judgment seat? I just love that idea. If you can answer that yes, not just look forward to being in the Father's presence. Right? Because I know that we, if you are in Jesus Christ, if he's your own hope, you can't wait to be with him. But can you look forward to being before him as judge. First of all, that requires a true gospel confidence that he has declared you righteous because of the perfect obedience of Christ in his substitutionary death. But it 
also requires, if you were to look forward to that, holy living. Knowing that the righteousness of Christ is producing in you as you submit to his spirit indwelling in you through the spirit, submitting to his word, obeying him. And you can say, I can't wait to be before the judgment seat of Christ, not so I get praise, but so that he gets the praise for the obedience in my life. See, if you can say that, I think that the gospel's getting deeper into your heart. That's the gospel getting deeper. To so understand not just a, a legal, he's declared not guilty, which is great, right? But to so get his grace that you can look forward to being before the judge because you know you have been set free from the law of sin and death. And the law of the spirit is producing obedience in your life. So we have to fear our father is judge, but not as those who don't have Christ. We are not going to get to reason number two, although it gets, it gets even better, I think. Well, I don't know if it gets better, but uh, I think that that is a full meal, though, for this morning. And we're going to, uh, Lord, Lord, Lord willing, cover it, verses 18 to 21 uh, next time. So, this is a great transition for you. So, so um, think about that. Am I looking forward to being before my father, the judge? Our only hope in life and death is what Christ accomplished on the cross. But that righteousness that was given to you is a obedience producing righteousness. Some of you, if you are like, no, that may mean I'm not saved. For some of you, it may mean I need to go home and do some journaling of how I've been obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you just need to think about what, what is the fruit of righteousness that God is producing in my life. You can be encouraged by that. You can be encouraged that the, the justification in your life is working out into righteousness. I'm going to pray now. Dear Father, I thank you uh, for this time in your word. And I come before you humbly, um, knowing that these, I, I, I feel a tension here. I feel a tension um, in our hearts, and there is a weightiness. And uh, Peter wants us to be weighty, but he doesn't want it to be hopeless. Um, he could have just exalted you as judge, but he exalts you Father as judge. I thank you for the hope that is in this verse, but also, Lord, we see the responsibility. We do have a responsibility by, um, by your grace, Lord, uh, to conduct ourselves in fear, knowing that we have to give an account, as Jesus said, to give an account for every word spoken. We think about the parable of the talents and uh, to give a, a, a account. And we look forward to you coming back and being able to say, Lord, you gave me five, but look what I've done with them. God, we confess that that is not in any way due to our, our, ourselves, our own effort, 
Lord, it is only through the righteousness of your son. So I pray, Father, uh, Lord, I, I believe there's, there's different kinds of, of, of people here this morning, Lord. And there may be some who, who just fear judgment, and they should because they are not right with you. And all they have is, is judgment to look forward to. I pray that this morning they would be rescued, that they would see the beauty of your law exposing their sin, and they would put their hope in your son. I do pray, Father, uh, for those who come here this morning feeling guilty that all they can see is their sin and they have lost the ability to see the fruit of righteousness in their life. I pray that you would help them to be able to, 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 to look with fresh eyes at what you're going to be pleased with. Lord, I pray that you would help our understanding of the gospel to grow deeper, not just as a, 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 a transfer, but as um, us getting your son's righteousness and that righteousness being effective, that we have a new nature and that, yes, we're going to live cautiously, but we can look forward to judgment. Lord, what sweetness there is, what, what gospel promise there is in that. So please, Father, help that to get into our hearts uh, even more. Lord, I do pray that you would help us. This is really a great follow-up from uh, last time we were in First Peter, to be holy. Lord, we want to be holy, we want to be pleasing to you. We ask that you would um, be judge of, of every part of our life, Lord, that we would have no corners we're trying to hide. Lord, we, we, we want to please you in every area. And that's only by your grace, because you have given us new life in your Son. Please use your uh, word uh, in this upcoming week. In Jesus' name, amen.